from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 702, virtual desktop for work at home with guest Grant Becker. Recorded Friday, May 1st, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. This is another in our pandemic series, and today my guest is Grant Becker, who is a principal consultant and a cloud solutions architect for Catapult Systems that focuses on the Microsoft Cloud. Thanks for coming on the show, Grant. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, this virtual desktop thing, like it's been brewing for years and years and years. Do you think this is a turning point now, just the, the pressure of the pandemic? Well, I have to say it's definitely um, made it a more focused thing, right? So a lot of customers mm-hmm. really taken this as something that has become a priority, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not something they wanted to be a priority, but it really is. This whole thing has kind of made it become one. What's the advantage that they're looking at here? Like, why not just let them work from home with their machines? What are they after? Well, I think you still want to enforce some of these policy things, Mm -hmm. right? And for some of these organizations, uh, some of these changes happen very quickly, these requirements for people to work from home. And so what I'm kind of finding here is these organizations were put in this position that they weren't planning to be and, and maybe don't have the resources out here for people to access it. So it's really allowed these organizations to say, hey, you know, work from home still connect up to the corporate network without a VPN. Right. Uh, with any device, we're still going to authenticate you. We're still going to validate um, the applications and group policies and all these other things that you're used to are still here. Uh, you know, um, it's kind of allowed them to continue uh, work in, in a, a normal manner, or as close to normal as we can get. Yeah, I don't think you want to try and do that to someone's personal machine. You're essentially, A, it's not the right version right. of Windows, and you're essentially hijacking at that point. Trying to enforce policy on people's machines, yeah. that's difficult, right? And, and for some organizations, these people may not have appropriate machines. Sure. So th- there's a, a number of industries where people are all remote. Um, and so when they're coming back to their home, maybe they didn't have a corporate machine or a personal machine that did this you know, type of stuff for. So yeah, yeah it's, it's really big, something to kind of fill that gap. Microsoft has an array of virtualization products. Do you, can we run them down a bit? Like, are we, or which one are we particularly going to need to talk about here? As far as how Windows Virtual Desktop operates, or well, is, is so it's Windows Virtual Desktop is what the is the thing you're deploying right now to help folks, right? Because there are other Microsoft virtualization products. I think it's confusing at times. It's like which product am I looking at? You know, there's so many products that are Microsoft products. That yeah, are confusing here. <laughs> so you know, yeah, yeah. That's I was only talking about the Microsoft products. Yeah, much less the third parties. Prior to Windows Virtual Desktop, right? You know, we had. Yeah, we had remote app and the first go through with, with Azure. And that was like, Hey, don't use this anymore. <laughs> this yeah. isn't what we wanted. We're, we're taking that you know, away. And, yeah. And then it was, Hey, we're going to go come out with this thing called RDMI. Um, this will be your thing that you're going to use going forward for remote desktop services. But then that didn't happen. Uh, so there's been, yeah, a lot of confusion there. And you know, remote desktop services is still a platform. You mm-hmm. can still deploy that Windows server. So that's a capability there as well. Um, and, and really Windows Virtual Desktop is that in a hosted manner. 
Um, so th- there's a lot of stuff there that's uh, still out there, right? And terminal so server, right? Big terminal <laughs> server. Yeah, how many names has it gone through, right? <laughs> <laughs> More than Skype. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, they don't change the name of Skype. They start naming everything Skype, but none of them are yeah. Skype anymore. None right? of them are Skype. Yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, obviously the marketing team has gotten a hold of it a little bit. And that's probably what happened when, when the Windows Virtual Desktop. But, um, you know, it's really become the unification of Azure and remote desktop services. But So this is the path for cloud-based virtual desktops is Windows Virtual Desktop. Right. Notice it does not have Azure in the name because why would you want to make that easy? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we'll start with Azure with Windows in the name, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll change that later, too. Uh, that's all. It's just names. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it really is. It, it's taking remote desktop services and it's packaging up a lot of the components that you're responsible for. Things like the broker and gateway and um, web access. And, you know, those are all now provided by Microsoft as a service. Nice. And, and really, you're just responsible for the portion of it that runs your application. So what they would call the session hosts and you know, the really the key differentiator here was uh, the introduction of Windows 10 multi-session, which, uh, you know, up until this point, if you wanted to run um, session hosts, remote desktop services, session hosts, that's Windows Server. Right. And, and so this is really the first uh, iteration of a client OS to do that. And, um, you know, we're finding that it's actually, it's run really well. And it, it's, we seem to be getting better performance and scalability and, you know, call it user density and the number of users we can get to a, a session host. So it, there's definitely some value there. And so a multi-session, is this specific to Windows 10 Enterprise? Um, it's a specific version of Windows 10. Yeah, oh, okay. Windows 10 Enterprise uh, multi-session. So it, it's, um, you know, if you look at it from under the hood, it, it looks like it's a, a specific release for this, right? So it's it's not something you can go and, and grab outside of Windows Virtual Desktop at the moment. Um, it's designed for this. You're not going to run it anywhere else. This is for doing this. Yeah, more or less, right? What would you what would you use multi sessions under one Windows 10 host for outside of this particular purpose, right? It's a session host pool, but yeah, I get it. But it, and it's just part of just grappling with this is what you need to know is that it is a specific version. So you're just running this. You can't run this on your own. Then this is strictly for through Azure. As opposed to the old RDS solution where you could absolutely do an implementation yourself. Yeah, as of right now, you know, there's some pre-made templated versions of Windows 10 multi-session. They're out on the Azure Marketplace mm-hmm. and they're designed for this particular purpose to, to build them out as session hosts to run your applications on for Windows Virtual Desktop. Right. Um, you know, you could still deploy remote desktop services in Azure. That's mm-hmm. completely fine and supported, but, um, you know, this is really the first uh, version of, of a client OS for the, this particular purpose. Okay. So what do I have to do to set this stuff up? This looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually pretty straightforward. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously there's prerequisites in place here for things like Active Directory. We need identities. We need identities in the cloud. So Azure AD needs to be in place there. Right. Um, so Azure subscription, obviously we'll need a place to deploy resources to. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, everything else then is, is deployed as part of the service. So um, all the backend infrastructure that's supporting it is, is run and provided by Microsoft. And, and the part that you're really responsible for here are the ses- uh, session hosts. Right. And those are servers that you're, or desktop client OS in this case, that you're installing applications on. Um, and, and those applications then are, are packaged up into, a, say, an image or something like that you want to deploy to these session hosts. And, um, from there and that's how they connect and access those applications so i build out a vm for the client side of a desktop app 
and, and put it into Azure and they can access it? Yeah, what, what we're seeing here is a lot of customers are building out images for particular purposes. So let's say they'll start with a blank Windows 10 multi-session image and mm-hmm. they'll install applications for, say, the accounting team or right. uh, some sort of uh, business unit within the organization. And they'll install their applications there and they'll capture that as an image. And then they'll deploy out a number of session hosts to support the number of users that would be required to access it. So, um, and kind of build out different pools in that manner to different uh, resources. So, is there a, is it a session host per user then? Like, what how what does the scale look like? Uh, so it depends. So um, there's two options there, and, and one of them is what they call pooled resources, mm-hmm. meaning that we can get a session host that multiple users connect to. Um, and then there's also personal desktops that you could have an individual desktop per user. So they can personalize them. It's not just the generic accounting template. Yeah. I mean, you could look at, so in some cases here, I have a couple organizations that, um, you know, maybe they have more power users that want to do uh, higher end processing type of things. Mm-hmm. And, and then individual desktop makes more sense. And, and even to that point, you could look at GPU enabled VMs within Azure to, wow. to additionally support, uh, you know, access um, resource uh, usage there. So there are definitely options there for both. Um, for a lot of organizations, though, they're looking to get as much capacity out of the single session host as possible. And that's where we're really looking at those pooled sessions where multiple users hit a single server and do it that way. And what what are the numbers like? How many can I get per, per session there? That's the big question, right? So every mm-hmm. organization is a little bit different. And so what we're, we're finding here is that a good two users per uh, core has kind of been a um, doable a starting point here. Okay. Doable, yeah. And, and really, as, as people kind of build this out, they start to figure out what those numbers look like, right? Yeah. It's all dependent on the applications they're running. Uh, for some very low-end, uh, entry-level uh, information worker type of uh, personas or workloads, um, it could be even higher. So it's dependent on the applications they run. Sure. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, old forms over data apps that haven't been made into web apps. So they either, you know, you don't want to install it on their personal machines, uh, irrespective of even of the security issue. It's just a hard thing to do and much less to manage it. So you set these things up in the VMs because if everybody was in the cloud or everybody was on in web, I could probably go around this. Or do you find people still running web apps through virtual desktops? You know, that's funny because that's a lot of what the workloads are. And it's interesting. It's interesting in that sense because it looks like what they're trying to do is still control maybe a portion of the access to those web apps that probably could be accessed from a a personal computer or a user's home machine Mm -hmm. or a mobile device. Um, So it's still looking at enforcing policy. Right um, on people to access those applications. This is this is security position. That, yeah, I don't want to push those privileges onto the individual's machine, so they have to go through this security boundary to my machine, and it has the privileges. Right, and and you'll find things like uh, proxy systems and things like that that'll be on the session hosts that are still going to control outbound internet access or the type of things they can get to, and um, you know, pre- still presenting that web app to them. But there's definitely the security layers are in place. Sure. Well, it, it makes me think in terms of here is a way for me to provide remote work regardless of the pandemic per se, uh, because I, but I want, because I want this high security model where you've never had direct access to this machine at all. You can just go in and, and, and work on it. Yeah, I think that was the biggest driver here. Hmm. You know, Windows Virtual Desktop, it went generally available last year or late last year, but there really was a lot of interest in it before that from a lot of customers that were maybe running existing remote desktop services or mm-hmm. um, other VDI solutions. And they were looking at, hey, what's the cost um, comparison here compared to other solutions? But I think, yeah, COVID kind of came around and 
and the directive to work from home really started to come much faster than I think people were expecting or organizations that didn't have a solution in place were expecting it to be. And, and this has really kind of driven that as, as a quick option, right? Let's quickly get it and turn around, around a, a way for our users to get to these applications, but still let's maintain the, the policy and, and um, configurations that they're used to. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in one hand, you have the existing remote folks who are trying to get better and better features and are willing to migrate to this clearly more sophisticated solution. But I got to think there are folks that are, that are companies out there that have, everybody's been sent home to, from work. They're trying to use people's individual machines and they're just having problems and now are have to consider whether a VDI solution is a way to go. Yeah. And the, the problems could be lots of different things. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at an organization that plans for remote access of VPN, right, there probably isn't capacity in place to support the entire company. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, for some of these organizations, you know, their their workloads for VPN just jumped seventy five percent or more, right? So, um, yeah, we'll see a lot of organizations that were not planning for that, that didn't have the capacity for that for mm-hmm. VPN. Um, the end user perspective of hopping on the VPN to do things sometimes isn't the best no they're vpns they experience. we all hate them <laughs> yeah, right? so. inevitably Wait, and yeah. certainly we i did this show a few weeks ago we're talking to richard hicks about it but it's like and if you're using a hardware dependent vpn system say you know cisco AnyConnect or something they're out of hardware you can't buy more even if you are willing to pay their prices they they, they lead this times right. now are six months or a year so i mean the software vpns at least you can, you know, modify VMs and host more instances and try to scale that way. But this idea of just taking your low, you know, maybe you did get the VPN up running. You've got everybody going through it right now, but it's a capacity. Like you're straining. The idea that I could take a high traffic app out of the loop by providing a virtual desktop to it, you could end up in this hybrid world where some of your work's over the VPN and that's fine. And some of the work is in this VDI solution. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of customers kind of start that way mm-hmm. and really transition almost entirely into the VDI infrastructure. It's mostly for the user experience from as an end user, you know, if I'm accessing a virtual desktop that's near to my server software or other applications, right. the performance of that is better than at home over a VPN. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we see a lot of these customers that once the users get used to how to access that and the easy use there and, and the user experience, they stay there. Um, it becomes a, a they're happy with a it. standard platform. Yeah. Cause now, now you're just moving the keystrokes, mouse movements and the video images across the, across the home network rather than the apps traffic. Right. And you know, even to expand on that audio, Interesting. So, you know, Microsoft's working on a version of teams here that's highly optimized for Windows virtual desktop that will then support, um, better audio performance to allow you to do that as well through the VDI interface, which you can do now, um, but it's not as optimized. But what I think they're realizing that, you know, customers are really going to start using that. Teams has become a, a pretty tightly integrated thing for most organizations as mm-hmm. a, a communications method, especially remotely, um, as, you know, the workforce is remote. So being able to use that within the VDI inter- interface is a pretty big deal. That's really interesting. And I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Windows Virtual Desktop is awesome for running Windows 10 in the cloud, but your problems are still your problems. Windows is still Windows, your browsers are still your browsers, and your users are still your users. How are you going to simplify management of this in the brave new world of Windows Virtual Desktop? Relax, you've got Policy Pack. 
Policy Pack is an official, original Microsoft Windows Virtual Desktop Partner and ready to help you increase security and manageability on your multi-session Windows 10 instances. With Policy Pack and Windows Virtual Desktop, you'll be able to remove local admin rights, yet enable standard users to install software or overcome UAC prompts, proactively block malware and unknownware, configure and lock down browser and application settings, dynamically configure file association, start screen, and the taskbar settings for every user. Use your existing group policy or Intune to deliver the settings once and have your users get exactly the settings they need in Windows Virtual Desktop, on their laptops, or back in the office. Simplify modern desktop management and remote work with Policy Pack. To learn more, head over to policypack.com slash remote work. That's policypack.com slash remote work. Policy Pack, securing your standards. And listeners to this podcast are eligible to win a free copy of the Cybex Wiley book entitled MDM Fundamental Security and the Modern Desktop using Intune, Autopilot, and Azure to manage, deploy, and secure Windows 10 by Jeremy Moskowitz, Enterprise Mobility MVP. Simply pick Run As Radio in the drop down when you visit policypack.com slash remote work. Good luck, and we hope you win. And we're back. It's Run As Radio, one of the pandemic series, and I'm talking to Grant Becker about uh, the new VDI solutions, this Windows Virtual Desktop. Uh, yeah, it runs in Azure. And yeah, they don't put Azure in the name because why would it make it easy? But, you know, talking about Teams before the break there, I would think that Office 365, you would not want to do through VDI. Would you just keep that local, run the normal way, and then VDI for, for company-specific apps? You know, they're kind of pushing the other direction. Huh. So most of their um, pre-built applications or templated images for Windows 10 here mm-hmm. um, come with ProPlus, an optimized version of ProPlus, just the click-to-run office suite built into the image. So I think they're really trying to get users to use this as a, a primary machine for office and, and for those different workloads. And, um, you know, w- with the introduction of what they're called profile containers or a way to capture a user's profile so they move around between the session hosts. Uh, we're still able to store things like OSTs and and, and cache documents, OneDrive, that kind of stuff, um, down to the end user um, for better performance. Wow. Now, w- yeah, I could see Microsoft pushing on this because it sounds like it could be a good profit center too. Like, what does VDI cost then? Well, the interesting part here, and, and I think what's really drawn a lot of attention is um, – the licensing scheme here for this is, is really built into existing Office 365 licensing. So you're not really necessarily paying for Windows Virtual Desktop separately here if you're licensed for Microsoft F1, E1, E3, etc. Um, so if you've got an E3 license for each of your employees, you already get Virtual Desktop. Right. You get the licensing for Windows Virtual Desktop. So what you're responsible for from a cost perspective is is the underlying Azure resources that support it. Okay. The session hosts and the virtual machines and networking and storage. Interesting. Um, but that's a small part. Well, that also means it's, there's not a per seat license there. It's just the central resources, compute, compute resources you're consuming. Right. And, and for a lot of other competing uh, applications for VDI, you know, mm-hmm. there's licensing costs for the service. Yeah, per seat. So I've had a lot of customers that look at this and say, you know, we're fairly happy with the, the service we're using now, but we're looking at this and saying, wow, this might be a huge cost savings yeah. without the licensing portion here. If you're already going to pay for, for Microsoft 365, like, why wouldn't you? You'd have to consider this. Most of them do. They look at those costs and say, hey, you know, our Citrix and Horizon Cloud and these other ones, I'm paying for licensing here. Yeah. Uh, it's expensive, can be, especially on scale. 
Um, and, and so that's really been something that these organizations have been looking at as a way to cut costs mm-hmm. and to provide this availability to users. Yeah. And to, and to provide that stability, that consistent experience, the remote connectivity, we, we, I can, it's the cloud. So I can connect from anywhere, right? I could be moving around. It's not that big of a deal. It's, I'm just going through the normal uh, Azure Active Directory authentication strategy. There's no special thing. It sounds like I don't need anything on the on the employee's home machine anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's different client connectivity options. So there's yeah. a Windows app and there's a web browser and Android and iOS and all those different connection methods. Oh, okay. But um, but yeah, you're really routing right through Azure Active Directory. So things like conditional access and um, those type of policies can apply here. But there is a client I should install. Um, you can. So, you know, it's a, there's an HTML5 web browser that works. Um, there's a web, Microsoft web okay. client. But, but I, I got to think that's the weakest option is the, is the web browser version, that you're going to be happier if you install the app. You know, the only reason that I'm seeing customers choose that is for multi-monitor support. Oh, okay. And so um, as a single monitor, though, the web browser is an HTML5 browser compatible session and um it actually works really well i think for what it is Um, because when you think of browser and and stuff you just don't think of that as a as a viable option but here it really is which yeah i I would just presume it's the weak child here and also that it's it's probably only chrome or edge and no other browser no it's been pretty reliable as far as the the connection options and browser compatibility. They've done a really good job there um, with that HTML5. So Safari on a Mac is going to have a good experience in Windows Virtual Desktop? Um, If you wanted to use the (laughs) Safari, I guess it depends on the version there. I won't commit to anything on Safari, but um, for any of of these modern browsers that support HTML5. Yeah, given you're up to date. Yeah, it, it works really well. Um, so I, I've had customers that start uh, in one way or the other and say, hey, you know, maybe we should put this out to the app. And then they kind of realize this browser might be completely sufficient for what this user is trying to do That's here. That's really interesting. Um, and so, and same with the mobile clients, you know, the iOS client and uh, the Android client. Um, they actually work really well for what they are. Um, I was pretty impressed by installing the iOS client on a phone okay. and being able to connect to it. And, you know, in the past, there were RDS options for mobile. They weren't good. No. <laughs> that's know, a trying very, to move a mouse around. It's a, it's and a very tough problem. Touch. Yeah, they weren't really touch um, compatible, right? right. Um, but I, I feel like these new ones really are. And, and so it's really a viable solution for mobile users for, for some of these um, per, user personas. It depends on the applications they're running. But Yeah. They, I mean, so, some software is not going to be friendly in a phone format, but... There's a lot of stuff that will work that way. What about Office 365 over the phone through VDI? That seems like a strange series of events. It does. Yeah, but it, it works. <laughs> so that's actually one of the use cases there is right. I load up Outlook through that. And um, obviously on a really small phone, that's difficult to read. Sure. But on a tablet, it, it was usable. And so I'm able to get in there and, and access that and um, you know get to OneDrive and things like that. But um, it's a viable option. What capabilities do the user have in terms of I'm on a virtual desktop and I want to copy a file out? Like, can I get it? Can I stick in a USB key in my local machine and load a file to that? Well, there's redirection options. So there's drive redirection options. There's clipboard options. Okay. Um, What I find, though, is most customers are removing that. 
And then, you know, there's obviously some. Yeah, I would think I want to be able to turn that off. But if there's certain yeah. cases where I want it, I should be able also to turn it on. Yeah, there, a lot of the functionality that was there with remote desktop services with drive redirection, printer mm-hmm. redirection, clipboard, audio redirection, all that kind of stuff. That's all available there. But you have, it's a, it's policy items now. You can turn that off and on on demand. Yes. Right. Yeah. So for most organizations, they're turning off a lot of that stuff just for data loss prevention purposes. Sure. But um, it's definitely a capability. Yeah, that's really interesting. What a, how do you how tough is it to switch those policies around? I'm thinking about normally you operate in a no copy out mode, but there is a particular role you have where you do need to be able to copy out, and I can turn it on for you. Like, do you just log into a different account? Um, it's not user based in this uh, in how it's configured. Okay. It's actually at the session host level. Ah, so if I you see. look at if we have a let's say we have a session host pool for accounting and there's three servers in there that host the 50 people that access it right uh, we could just configure it on that session host pool so anyone who's going through any of those servers doesn't have clipboard access or doesn't have redirected drives right and what it, and then of course there's still the other tools around protecting files that are available to your file security options so forth you could be using those so that they they only are openable by someone that's authenticated correctly that kind of stuff yeah, when you think about these session hosts are, are Active Directory joined machines, right? So any sort of policy that you were enforcing before, um, or any you know things like Azure Information Protection, that kind of stuff, um, that's all available to mm-hmm. it. There's nothing you know there that's that's prevented or hidden. So any type of policies that you had, group policies and, and configurations, security configurations, DLP, that kind of stuff, you could enforce that. Well, and it strikes me that you're you're actually putting that pressure on fewer machines by having them all in the cloud that way. So it's easier to maintain your policies. You have less sync problems. Like a lot of the stuff may even work better. It, it, yeah, you're kind of condensing down, right? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> there's less for you to, to hunt down as problems there, but... Um, no, that's it's definitely something that's available, and and we're seeing a lot of customers implement it that way. Well, when you think in terms of propagating group policy out to to machines, the idea that I don't have to go to the individual workstations because they don't have any rights, I can just go to these hosts uh, that are running in the cloud, so I have a lot more control over them, and, and my ability to connect to them is Im- essentially immaculate. You know, new policies are going to appear almost in, in, Im- immediately. Yeah, and all the methods you were used to using to kind of enforce these policies, things like a CCM, Intune, et cetera, mm-hmm. that's all available to you there. So it's not really relearning anything in that sense. Uh, um, right. It's pretty easy to reapply the same things. You're just not trying to propagate it down a work-from-home scenario, which is right. really hard. So <laughs> I hope you're on the network so I can enforce policy for you. Yeah. That kind of stuff. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, so the idea that we keep it closer to home and just don't push rights out to those individual machines, they just have the ability to log into machines that do have those rights. Right. That's a yeah, great combination. Like, it, and, and I'm thinking about the post-pandemic world, and like, I don't know that you'd be willing to give this up once you got it set up right. This is pretty compelling. That's kind of what I'm wondering here is, you know, there's obviously been the drive here with remote work, but yeah. how many of these organizations after they've used this and end users have used it for a while, are they going to continue to use this as a viable remote solution? Sure. That I have the flexibility. Especially as a replacement for VPN. Yeah. Better than a VPN. I can use my tablet if I want and it's still fully secured. I can go get a new machine, stand it up and use it immediately. No no need to send it to IT or IT sets it up first. Like all of those sorts of problems go away in this model. Right. It's Yeah. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, um, trying to think of the word here, management that's kind of reduced, right? Yeah. The maintenance and management portion of this is, is significantly reduced. So if I, yeah, you always have this conflict then that if IT likes it better, then the users probably hate it. 
But <laughs> that's usually been the case, right? <laughs> yeah. But this may be one of those exceptions that the machine is super clean. It's always fresh. They don't have to wait for updates. Like a lot of those problems go off the user's world. They don't need to worry about that anymore. Yeah. And I'm finding it's a more consistent um, experience for diagnosing problems, right. right? So, you know, it's always works on my machine, right? <laughs> Until it gets <laughs> Yeah. You don't have that one person of the 50 in accounting with the mangled machine. Yeah. That doesn't happen to you. Yep, exactly. Or the app, the one app that doesn't work for yeah. them. Uh, it seems to be a pretty consistent experience across all the users. If it works, it works for all of them. Right. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, it, yeah, easier to maintain and manage some of those applications. Yeah, and some of the legacy applications. You know, we find a number of uh, customers that are looking to move older systems to this. Sure, um, yeah. You, know, you, can, you can take the existing um, 2012 R2 or, uh, you know, older systems and, and convert them into session hosts for Windows Virtual Desktop, and, and that works. And so there's a number of uh, organizations out there that have old applications that are just not supported. Right. Um, they don't have the people there anymore to reinstall them or, or reconfigure them to make them work in new versions. And... Um, you know, it's a viable option to sure. take something like that, capture it as a machine and, and make it available. Yeah, you P2V it to get it into a, a virtualized environment. So, you're no longer dependent on that old hardware. So, it'll live forever now. But you can't yep. patch it. It's not secure. So, you keep it inside of a cloud container to protect it from it, from the outside world and only allow folks to poke into it that through uh, the virtual desktop. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? It's, it's finding a way to take some of those... Uh, legacy applications and, and containerize them in a sense, right? Yeah. Trying to really isolate them. Well, it just control that attack surface. And I think over and over again, like again, from uh, IT is going to like this a lot because it's like my, my attack surface is pretty small. It's your ability to log into virtual desktop. Everything is at a virtual desktop. I can lock down pretty hard. Yeah. And from an, from an architecture uh, standpoint, I get lots of questions. So how do people access these session hosts, mm -hmm. right? Are we providing public IPs or, and no, it, it's being proxied through the or brokered through the Windows Virtual Desktop service. So your VMs are not exposed externally to the internet. Um, they're just proxied in through the WVD service. So from a security standpoint, um, they're pretty locked down to begin with. Right. It's only when you have the right set of credentials to log into that that any of this opens up. Right. And now you use multi-factor authentication, maybe see, you know a hardware key of some kind. Like you can. You put your energy into making sure you've got as secure and Azure Active Directory configuration as possible. And that sort of takes care of the rest. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we're leveraging all the existing uh, configurations you have within Azure. So mm -hmm. Azure policy and blueprints and all these other, um, you know, security or compliance type of standards. Um, those comply with that, right? So we'll, we'll continue to leverage that existing environment. And I'm also thinking just offloading some more work from my, my company data center here that, that these workloads then shift out of the data center almost entirely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of the applications uh, may have already been moving into the cloud, right? right. So as, as stuff has been transitioning out of on-premises data centers to cloud workloads, um, now you're moving the client connectivity right there as well. So Right. So they'll actually perform better. And they usually do. Yeah. Uh, they usually have pretty pretty good performance. Can you can you be regionally specific? I could make sure that they, these apps are living in uh, the country of my choice and that my virtual desktops are as well. Uh, you can deploy Windows Virtual Desktop um, globally. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with organizations we've deployed them in other regions and that's been fine and, and continue to make sure that those uh, resources are only accessed in that region, right. that particular region. Um, and it actually works really well for some of those use cases. So mm -hmm. 
for um, use cases where a source country maybe is a little bit difficult to get resources into, but sure. the, you know the users need to have access to it. We'll, we'll get one as close as we can to that environment, and you know the remote end of those virtual desktops and access those resources that way. It's just a natural byproduct of this modern cloud architecture now that you can say, "I want data sovereignty. I want it to, this this data and the clients stay in country." Yeah, and that, that seems to have been a, a pretty um, common workload here is for some of these organizations and countries that maybe are not uh, as friendly when it comes to some of these data laws. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, yeah, depends on where you are, absolutely. Keeping the, yeah, keeping the data in that particular region, but having the users access it from wherever they are. Sure. Where, where do people go wrong with this? What do they struggle with to, to be successful? Or is there, are there things missing that if you're used to working with the traditional configuration, you're going to go, oh, where, why isn't this there? Um, you know, for, for a lot of people here, it's kind of understanding what are the strengths of this platform mm-hmm. and, and what are the things it can and cannot do. So, um, you know, building on a good proof of concept, a good pilot, is going to be key here. Right. Seeing the applications that work, the ones that don't, seeing how your user experience goes, uh, how are these users accessing it from where. Um, it's really building out and understanding what what your end users are going to do with it. Sure. And, and from there, you know, the rest is just scaling it out after you've determined that. So it's just putting the time and effort into building out those uh, initial um, deployment plans and, and understanding what your, what your users do. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. I, I think there may be some hard, you've got weird hardware dependencies, like some kind of scanner that needs to be plugged in that, that uh, or communicating directly with the, with a machine. Like those could be a struggle. Yeah, and there's struggles for organizations even. Sure, without a doubt. Yeah, there's pain everywhere. It's just it's only- on premises, right? So, <laughs> there's, you know, legacy devices and services. Yeah, it's not going to magically make it better. It's always a question <laughs> of do you know where your pain is? Yeah. Um, but what, what we find is for a lot of organizations, they figure out um, a particular workload or user persona. Hey, we want to provide this application to these users from anywhere for this purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they're really drilled down to that type of uh, detail, they're usually pretty successful. Um, right. It's the ones that say, hey, we're going to stuff everything into a machine and everybody's going to get to it all at the same time. And those are a little more complex and they don't seem to have as good of results. So de- defining those roles and, and narrowing down the scope of any given VM so that you have multiple uh, multiple VMs seems to be a more sensible way to go. From an optimization standpoint sure. as well, right? You know, we're looking at cost and the cost is machines and storage and networking mm-hmm. and how, how do we optimize those costs and, and by limiting the number of sessions that we are uh, session hosts we provision that's going to be a big driver there same with storage sure and, and what you do provision is smaller mm-hmm. yeah. yeah optimizing that and, and you know there's capabilities with scaling as well as mm-hmm. for scaling up session hosts and scaling down depending on on workload and needs so there's definitely optimizations there that can be done after you really start figuring out what your users are doing with it yeah so i really like your your thinking around the pilot pick a well-defined role that exists today try it with them first and then to make the effort to to find more roles that shape like that as you move your workloads across it seems to be the most consistent so right. you know we've been doing this for over almost two years now probably mm-hmm. a little bit longer uh, in preview and, and prior to that but remote app and it seems to be that seems to be the um driving factor yeah. or, or the, you know the primary factor yeah. there is, is 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 narrowing down the scope and yeah being specific yeah that yeah, is a good path to success it makes a lot of sense yep well i'm, I'm pleased to get this conversation uh, granted really start thinking about that virtual desktop is going to be driven forward by this and 
could stay valuable, like that folks aren't going to want to go back, that on all sides, IT will like it, the users will like it, the security folks are going to be happier. Like there's a lot of strength to, to taking good look at what workloads can be operated this way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely the case. Well, Grant, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. 